So if you um, have a Bible, you might like to turn to Matthew chapter 6, because that's where we're going to be for a few weeks now. And as you see from the screen, we're beginning a new series today, which is titled Warriors in Prayer. And you've had a little bit of time to look at that. And it's a challenge right there, isn't it? Warriors in Prayer. Because if you've been looking at that, I'm wondering how many of us would actually feel that we could describe ourselves as warriors in prayer. Maybe your heart's beating a little bit faster now and you're slightly nervous as to what's coming because most likely some of us are feeling a little bit guilty already, aren't we? Because we would say we are anything but a warrior in prayer. We would like to be able to be a warrior in prayer, but somehow maybe we feel we never quite get there. We carry the belief that prayer is important and we would like to pray more, but somehow... Truth is, prayer is important, and mostly we do want to be what we might describe as warriors in prayer, don't we? That's our heart's desire. And I hope that this series is not in any way a series, and it's certainly not designed in any way, to make us feel guilty about our prayer life. You can do that all on your own. You don't need me to do that for you. And this is not, I hope, a series that will make us feel disappointed in ourselves either, that in some way we are simply a failure because we don't do it right. What I hope instead is that this is a series that recognizes a deep and profound truth that we have in fact been invited to pray. The deep, profound, and simple truth that we have been invited by God himself to pray. Prayer is in fact our response to the invitation given by God. In the Garden of Eden, we're told that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. I love that phrase. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. It is a deeply relational thing for God to do, to walk and talk and enjoy the company of his creation. And for a while, it was great, absolutely great. And at the end of the day, God will come and walk and talk with his people and enjoy their company But sin destroyed that relationship, and sin still does. That's why we find it so much of a struggle to pray. But the invitation to walk with God in the cool of the day still stands. Jesus himself extends that invitation to us, and, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. And in this series, we're going to explore this invitation together. Here's a thought. What might happen if we took up the invitation to walk with God? Here's another thought. Philip Yancey, in his book about prayer, comes to the conclusion that far from prayer being about what we are asking God to do, It is much more about the change that happens in us when we meet with God. So I'm wondering how much you are ready and willing to take up the invitation to pray, to walk with God and see what he can do. Matthew chapter 6, beginning to read verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Seems to me that the first two words of Jesus' invitation to prayer are both startling and powerful. Our Father. Our Father. These words give us, I think, the context for this invitation. It presents, though, a significant challenge to the way it seems we are increasingly encouraged to think. In many ways now, we are encouraged, I think, to think about the individual. It's about my rights. It's about my career, my health, what's good for me. Pursue what's good for me. Now, there are many things about that that are, of course, good and helpful and healthy. But it does present a challenge to something deep and profound and essential to us as created human beings. And it's simply this. God is relational. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are created in his image, which means we are deeply and profoundly relational. Why did God create anything at all? Well, I think it's because God is love and love always gives. It is the nature of love to give. God is love, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he wants to give and share that love. So we are created. We are created to share God's love with him and with one another. We are, at our very core, relational beings. I think there's another way of saying it. it might be this. It's not, never has been, and never will be just about me. Although if I'm really honest, I struggle with that because mostly I really want it to be all about me. But deep in my heart, I know that I am made for far, far more than just me. One of the saddest facts I think about modern life and modern society is the apparently increasing problem of loneliness. You might have heard of something that's uh, big in our house, it's a thing called Prescription Plus. It's trying to stop people who don't really know to, need to go to a doctor going to a doctor and taking up the doctor's time. When they don't need medical help, what they need most of the time is company. They just need somewhere to go to be with people. It is a sad fact of modern society. What's one of the most effective ways to torture someone? Put them in solitary confinement. We go mad. We are created as relational beings. It's not just about me. It never has been and it never will be. When Jesus summed up the law, here's what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. It is, he said, primarily about relationship. Firstly with God and then with everybody else. That's it, in a nutshell. And these opening words challenge us about how we think. They challenge us with things we might struggle about right at the beginning of the invitation. And this invitation to prayer, I think, challenges us in another way. It is a direct challenge to those who thought they were the most important people in God's economy. 
Um, If you read the few verses before that I haven't read, you'll find out what I mean. The Pharisees made a very public display of praying, part of which was about telling everybody else that God was far more interested in their prayers than anybody else's. That's what they were doing. They would make a very public declaration of, of their praying. And Jesus says, don't be like them. They are deeply and profoundly wrong. By beginning his invitation with our Father, Jesus is making a very important point. We are all, we are all made in the image of God. There is no difference in how God sees one person that he created to the way he sees another person he created. God loves all his creation equally. I, as the minister of Crawley Baptist Church, have absolutely no more status in God's economy than any one of you. Now, I think we've made a massive mistake in church over time. We put people like me on a pedestal that we shouldn't be on. Because the truth is, if you knew what I was really like, I'd disappoint you. Because I'm human. I can choose to believe that I am more important than you, and you can choose to believe that I am more important than you, but it is simply not true in the kingdom of the heavens. Thank you. (laughs) You can say that as much as you like. Makes makes me feel good, actually. Probably going down the wrong road there, aren't I? But anyway. (laughs) Hey, the truth is, God loves me because he 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 loves me. That is a truth I am still grappling with, but of which I am eternally grateful. Now, the truth there is that there is nothing I can do to make God love me more, and there is nothing I can do to make him love me less. I'm still working on not trying either of those. And he loves you because 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 he loves you. We, are, we have created a myriad of ways of determining that some people are, in fact, more important than others, haven't we? What's the second question you get asked when you meet somebody new after they've asked you what your name is? What do you do? That's a way of measuring people. Now I've got some reason for thinking you're important or you're not important, you're clever or you're not clever, you're successful or you're not successful. It's a way of measuring people. People, when I go to ministers' things, that you know, they ask me how big the church is. What's that about? I'll tell you what it's about. It's about whether or not I'm a better minister than them. Because if I say I've got 3,000 people in the church and they've got 20, or if I say I've got 20 and they've got 3,000, you know what's going on. It's not true in the kingdom of the heavens, but we do it as ministers. We play that. I, I deliberately avoid, I go, oh, I don't know. And actually the truth is I don't. But I desperately, desperately, desperately try to avoid asking them the same question. We've become very good at this, working out who's more important than who. But it's simply not true in the kingdom of the heavens. Jesus' invitation is given to everyone equally. Now, my best guess would be that some of us here today, probably most of us, actually think we are not good enough to pray certainly out loud in a group. So when the invitation was given earlier, and Paul used the same words in the first service, so he's been consistent, if you're brave enough, and some of you think, oh, I'm never doing that, 
I'm guessing now, and this may reveal more about me than you, but I'm guessing that some of that's about, I, I wouldn't know what the words are that I'm supposed to say. I wouldn't sound spiritual enough. I might get it wrong. We have found all sorts of ways to measure that. The words we say, the confidence with which we say them. And Elijah had that problem, didn't he? The, the prophets of Baal shouting, he was going, well, why don't you shout a bit louder? Maybe God can't hear you. Well, we do that. If we shout more confidently, we think God's going to hear us. Whether we sound spiritual, whether we include some complicated theology that nobody else in the group can understand and we mightily impress them. Or whether somebody else does that and then we don't dare speak because we don't know what they meant, what they meant and we don't want to look silly. But here's the truth, right? God knows your heart. And God knows your heart however you express that. The invitation to pray is simply to bring your heart. Another way of saying it is you can't get it wrong. I think our Father might be a challenge in another way. This is an invitation to remember that God loves all people. Now, in my worst moments, I am capable of thinking that there are some people that God either can't possibly love or certainly should not love. In truth, they are normally the people that I don't like. But our Father sets me straight. Paul writes in Ephesians that we are all in truth by nature objects of wrath, saved by the unlimited grace of God. I am in truth no different from those I choose to dislike. What I can say is that I am a sinner saved by grace and that is by far the bigger and the better and the more important story. But God and only God knows the full story of Ian Phillips. And he extends that grace to anyone and everyone. Our Father is a challenge to me because it powerfully reminds me of God's greatest dream that all would come to him, that no one is excluded. Our turns out to be an extraordinarily powerful word. Our Father reminds us who extends the invitation. It is wonderfully true, but what I think I've just said is that God is the Father of all, that he is the creator of all, and that he desires that no one should perish. That is wonderfully true. But it is also wonderfully true that when our hearts turn towards him, he becomes our Father in a new and a different way. In James 1 verse 5, which we read in that series on James, you may remember that James told us something very important about God. James 1 5 says this, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Here, James is telling us something of God as Father, what he is really like. 
He is the Father, as we've already said, who simply loves to give. God is love, and it is the nature of love to give. So God gives. And God is the Father who wants to give. To me, yes, and to you. God wants to give to you. That is the nature of his giving. In fact, it means that God never stops giving. And here's a wonderful and beautiful truth. If we take up the invitation to come to God, because he is generous and always giving, he will never ask you to come back tomorrow because he is too busy today. I love that thought. God will never ask you to come back tomorrow because he is too busy today. He is always ready, always wanting, and always waiting to give to you. And James also reminds us in what he says that the truth about our Father is that he is a generous giver. He gives generously to all. It means, I think, therefore, that God wants to give generously to you. Some of you don't look very happy about that, as it turns out. (laughs) I I love this thought. That God is a generous giver who loves to give to all means that his giving has no heavenly limitation. Boom. His giving has no heavenly limitation. Can, Can you even begin to imagine what that actually means? When the younger son returns from his selfish and indulgent journey in the story that Jesus tells in Luke's gospel, the father throws a generous and lavish party. The older son, out in the field, expresses a long complaint to his father, arguing that he has never been given anything, even though he has been the good son. The father's response is stunning. Everything I have is yours, and it's been here all the time. Everything I have is yours, and it's been here all the time. We are left wondering. But the implication is that the elder son never quite grasped, understood, or lived in the deep and profound truth of his father's generosity. Because I think his father's saying, son, it's all here if you want it. And maybe the only difference between the two sons is one asked and one didn't. Jesus deliberately leaves the story hanging. We don't know what the older son did. But I'm wondering this. How much of the older son is reflected in you? I I personally find that quite a challenging thought one which I don't actually like very much. As I say, Jesus left the story hanging. We're never told whether the elder son went in or whether he went back to the field. And that's deliberate because Jesus is asking you the same question. What are you going to do?
Our Father means you are always welcome. He always longs for you to come to him and to walk with him. So as we begin this series, this journey, we come to our Father. Perhaps, and I hope it will, be that this journey, this inv- invitation to be warriors in prayer will change us. Maybe, maybe that's the biggest thing that's going to happen as we go through this together. But this too is our, our Father. We have a vision statement in this church which, which is helpful in make, encouraging us to look forward. It says that we will be bursting with life. Here's a thought. I'm wondering what might happen if we took our Father seriously. If we committed to coming together in all the ways that we can to pray through this series. Because the question, at least for me, becomes something like, what could God do when we do come together that for reasons I don't understand, God can't do if we don't? And what makes me think that is that when Jesus says, here's how to pray, the first thing he says is, our Father. So, every Sunday evening, we have an opportunity to gather together. Tonight, it will be with other Christians from the town. And we'll worship together, and we'll pray together. That's what we're going to do tonight. we pray for Crawley. On the second and third Sunday evenings, we meet in the Rainbow Lounge, and we have a little bit of worship together, and then we pray together. On the fourth Sunday evening, we go over to Greenfields, and we share communion, but we worship together, and we pray together. On the fifth Sunday, if there is one, we usually do coffee and conversation, which is a bit of a chat. You would be welcome at any of those. We meet on a Wednesday morning between 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock. Recognize that's not a good time for everyone. And occasionally I get texts from someone saying, I can't be there, Ian, but I'm praying. That's great. It's really encouraging to know that. Life groups. I'm sure in your life group you pray together. That's what we do in ours. Men. You have a wonderful opportunity to gather together on Saturday the 18th of May at 8 o'clock in the morning to have bacon butties together or something else if you don't like bacon butties and spend a bit of time chatting together and then maybe spending a little bit of time worshipping together and then praying together. On a Thursday evening in this corner here, you could come and pray for Alpha while the Alpha's going on. You could do that at home, but you can do it here. You could choose to pray for Kids Matter. Some of you get the newsletter about what's going on with Kids Matter, and it's challenging right now. Because ultimately, this is about the kingdom of the heavens. God has invited us to walk with him because the kingdom of the heavens is real and it is near. So maybe the question becomes, how about you? Will you take up the invitation and walk with God? Now, a better way of saying all that might be in the words of this song.
be saved that we may have life to find our way in the darkest night let your Shine on. 